Welcome to the DNA Decisions Podcast. This is your host, Jane, a 20-something health professional in training here today to talk to you about how your genetic information and our current technology is going to make things a bit more complicated. I'm just kidding. I'm just here to provide relevant information, interviews with experts in the field, and talk about the implications of genetic advancements, rulings, and previous events that may help a young adult to learn more about a topic in order to make informed decisions about your personal or your loved one's genetic information. So why am I doing this? I am currently taking a class about genetics in a public health context. And let me tell you, for someone who is going to be considered a public health professional in about four months, I was completely blinded to how my genetic information was being used, could be used, or will be used in the future. You could say I had, quote, low genetic literacy. My high school biology teacher would be so disappointed. All the mitosis, meiosis, and pea pods were not really all that relevant in this genetics class. This led me to think, are we actually educating young people with valued information, meaning information that has power to be used? Most of you listening to this podcast may have an interest in this topic, but are not likely to be PhD level geneticists. I think there is a gap in our education system that doesn't allow us to have access to the information about the so what behind the biology. We need to know how this is going to affect my life rather than getting a couple multiple choice questions correct on a biology exam. Genetic information carries significant implications for, quote, adulting, such as who will have access to my personal health information, how will I spend my money or live my life, my family planning, and will I be harmed potentially socially, medically, psychologically by my own genetic building blocks. So often we don't get to choose what family we were born into or the decisions made on our behalf as minors. But as we enter young adulthood, we are embarking on a phase of life where we get to hold this power. As a young person living in this country, the United States, I want my peers to have access to the same information that I am receiving in a master's program so that we can have a population that feels more well-informed with appropriate information and so that we can choose to make the decision that best fits our lifestyle and health needs for an overall healthier and happier population. So enough with this sappy stuff. Let's cut to the chase. Our topic for this episode is newborn screening. Did you know that within your first week of life, you were probably screened for a wealth of conditions, including cystic fibrosis and maple syrup urine disease? Yes, there is a disease named after the delicious liquid we put on our pancakes. Anyways, your blood was taken from you soon after birth, sent to a lab, and then tested for these rare conditions that you probably would have died from since they don't have obvious symptoms. This is a mandated program across the country. So congratulations, you did not have one of these conditions or you had one of these conditions and are taking the necessary steps to live with this genetic condition thanks to the government. This all started in the 1960s and today the newborn screening program screens about 4 million babies per year with close to 5,000 infants screening positively for a genetic condition on the list. The federal government passed the power to the states to regulate how they want to run their newborn screening program. Since all states have to put their own spin on everything, there are a variety of methodologies used to complete newborn screening programs. For example, some states screen for more conditions than others. Other states, including my home state of Michigan, have been keeping my dried blood spots that contain my DNA 
in a freezer since I was born and have been using it for research without my parents or my consent. I'm not even kidding. That's what we're going to talk about in this episode. After learning this shocking detail in my class, I was shook. Health research typically uses a process called informed consent, meaning the parents of a child or an adult age 18 years or older are asked if they would like themselves or their child to participate in a research study after learning about what they're going to be doing in the study, the risks of the study, the potential benefits of the study, and what they mean from you. However, I can for sure tell you that myself and all babies born in the state of Michigan between July of 1984 to April 30th of 2010 were not formally consented to have our genetic information used for anything other than screening for genetic health conditions. Our DNA is sitting in the Michigan Biotrust for Health. If you or your child's DNA is sitting in the Biotrust, you do have the opportunity to opt out of the research program. You can also still request that your DNA be stored in the case that you would ever need to access this genetic information in the future. Or you can just destroy it altogether. Basically, you just have to fill out a form and contact the state health department. But for those of you who have children born after the year 2010, you would now go through a consent process and opt in to having your samples stored in the Biotrust. Now, some of you may be like, I don't live in Michigan, so I'm in the clear. Well, actually, if you live in California, Minnesota, and Texas, your sample may have been stored too. Some of these samples have been destroyed due to lawsuits, which that's big drama that we'll get to later. But programs like these that use newborn screening genetic blood spots for research may continue to pop up or be built out as our technology gets better. And as other states find a way to do this kind of research in a safe way that keeps personal information confidential. I was fired up about this information. So I needed to understand the logic behind how a program like this could operate and the challenges and successes that they have run into as an organization. I recently got coffee with Ed Goldman, who is a lawyer and president of the Michigan Biotrust for Health. Here's what Ed had to say about this topic. And then the American College said, how many people keep their blood spots? And most states said, well, we just use them for newborn screening, and then we do quality assurance, and then we throw them away. Because after all, newborn screening is done without consent. And since we don't have consent, we should just use them for the indicated public health purpose. So Jacobson is a pastor in Boston. Um, it's 1903. Uh, Massachusetts is experiencing a smallpox epidemic. Jenner has figured out that cowpox is a vaccination for smallpox. The Commonwealth of Massachusetts says the only way to stop a smallpox epidemic is to get herd immunity and get 80% of the people inoculated so we have a, a barrier. Um, we're going to pass a law that says everybody has to get vaccinated. Jacobson says, I'm an adult. I have autonomy. You're not asking me for my informed consent. You're going to stick something in my arm. I don't know if it's safe. I don't know if it's safe for my kids. I'm not doing it. Uh, Massachusetts says you have to do it. Jacobson says I don't want to do it. They sue Jacobson. Um, the case goes all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And in 1905, the United States Supreme Court says if there is something for a public health good, like vaccination, it is legal to pass laws and it is legal to do things like quarantine. 
this is actually the start of the public health system in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's why you can fluoridate water without a vote, and it's why you can blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's a big deal. That's why newborn screening is done without consent because of Jacobson. Because the idea is these are terrible diseases that are silent killers. We don't want a parent saying, do not test my kid because that's exactly the kid that's going to have PKU and they're autonomous. This is not like abortion or anything like that. This is an individual, living individual kid. Um, and to say, I don't want my kid tested could be child neglect. So we're going to make it a public health good. Uh, Okay. So that takes us up to what you want to talk about, which is a biotrust. So the American College of Medical Genetics says, how many states keep their samples? Most states say they do not. Texas does, Minnesota does, California does, and Michigan does. California kept it because their early uh, biochemists said, this is data, you never throw away data. Minnesota said the same thing. Texas said the same thing. Michigan kept it because of an accident. They said to the Attorney General, Frank Kelly, how long do we have to keep dried blood spots? Frank Kelly thought he was being asked a malpractice question. And at the time, the answer to the malpractice, how long does a baby have to sue you, is six months after they become an adult. And back then, adulthood was 21, not 18. So he said 21 and a half years. So the state kept all the dried blood spots. Wow. That takes us up to 1999, 98, 99. Um, The governor of Michigan is being faced with a problem. He's got a lame duck session. session. Everybody's been elected uh, for 2000. And a lot of people want to, because they're term limited, because of Michigan's law, they don't have their name on a bill yet, and they want their name on a bill, so they put a bunch of bills in the hopper. And and it's nothing that they know anything about or care anything about, they just want their name on a bill. Um, So they find these bills. And one of the bills they find is everybody owns their genetic information. And therefore, you cannot take their genetic information unless you have permission. And even if you have permission, you can't keep it. Well, that sounds good until you talk to a pathologist who says, what the hell? Wait, I have tissue samples in pathology. That has DNA in it. That's genetics. What what are you talking about? That's a terrible bill. So the governor um, says, I need to figure out a way to stop all these bills. And I don't want to piss off any Republicans uh, by telling them that they're stupid. Um, So instead, I'm going to form a commission. And it's going to be called the Governor's Commission on Genetic Privacy and Progress. And I need somebody to chair it. And I know there's this guy who worked with the American College of Medical Genetics. So he calls me up and he says, uh, his, his lawyer says, would you chair this commission? And I say, well, what do you want the commission to do? And his lawyer says, frankly, I want you to issue a report one week after the lame duck session is over. (laughs) (laughs) Up front. (laughs) Because the governor will do his State of the Union and he will say, "Uh, there's a bunch of very important genetic bills in the hopper. And in order to really understand them, 
I am forming the Governor's Commission on Genetic Privacy and Progress, and they are going to issue a report, and that will help us understand the bills. Yeah. <laughs> so, brilliant politics. Um, so, he forms a group. It's got physicians, geneticists, lay people, lawyers, ethicists, um, and he asked me to chair it. Um, and I say, okay. So, I chair this group, and we make six recommendations, five of which are not relevant to what you want to know, but one of which is we have four million dried blood spots because we've been keeping them for 21 and a half years, and we ought to continue to keep them, and we ought to figure out a way to use them for research because now we can, and we did some tests. We actually did a couple of punches, and it turns out you can take these dried blood spots, even though they weren't stored in any particular way, and using genetic technology, you can not only find out the level of chemicals in the blood, or, but you can also create a cell line um, and, and do DNA research. Um, and as my wife, who is an epidemiologist, uh, said when I told her what I found, which was the four million blood spots, she said, don't you dare throw those away. Those are data. And I said, yeah, but we don't have any consent for newborn screening, let alone consent for research. So the committee spent some time and they recommended to the state legislature that they pass a law saying uh, we should retain blood spots, we should use them for research, but we should do it in a way where two things happen. And the two things are contradictory. Michigan State did a study, and they said to the, they, they interviewed a bunch of people in the state, and they said, if we have something of yours that you didn't give consent to give to us, and we want to use it for research, how would you feel about that? And they said, if it was absolutely clear that our privacy was protected, and if you found something that was relevant to us, you told us, then it would be okay. And we say, well, wait a minute. If it's completely de-identified, right. <laughs> and we find something that's relevant to you, how are we possibly going to know that? We right? always want what we can't have. <laughs> so we thought about that, and we came up with an answer. And the answer was what is called the honest broker system. And the way honest broker works is person one has a blood spot and identifying information. Person two has the rest of the blood spots and a way to get back to person one. Person three is a researcher who, who has completely de-identified information, but a barcode that gets you back to person two, which will then get you back to person one. So that we can say to you, yes, I have your blood in my freezer. I don't know that it's yours. The only thing I know is if you were born in 2001 um, and you're a female and your zip code is 48104, I have several thousand females born in 2001 whose zip code is 48104. You're one of those, but I don't know which one. Um, and if somebody wants a hundred punches from zip code 48104 from females born in 2001, and I take a hundred from the thousand that I have, mm -hmm. 
there's a one in ten chance that you'll be in that pool, mm -hmm. but I don't know that it's you. <clears throat> and if they have an, what is called an incidental finding, oh, this one seems to have a gene that we weren't looking for, but we happened to find because of tandem aspect, uh, that makes you hypersensitive to anesthesia, and we should tell you that before you have a surgical procedure. The researcher says, I'm worried about spot number 234, but I don't know who that is. We say, we don't know who spot 234 is either. State of the state, who's spot 234? They say, we know, but we won't tell you. Why do you want to know? We say, because that person has a gene that makes them hypersensitive to anesthesia. And the state says, okay, we have a last known address. We'll try to track them down and tell them. So that's called honest broker. And that means that the state can take not just the dried blood spots, but the cancer registry, the trauma registry, all the other stuff that the state keeps, make a file, blood spot one also has blah, 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 um, and give it to, to person two who can give it to person three. So who's person one, two, and three? Person one is the public health department. Person two has to be an independent agency. It's the origin of the Michigan Biotrust. And person three is a researcher. Mm -hmm. So the state says, well, we need, we need a person two. We need an independent agency. Mm -hmm. Let's create one. Let's, let's make a not-for-profit corporation. Mm -hmm. And the members of the corporation will be the University of Michigan, Michigan State, Wayne State, the Van Andel and the department, five-person corporation. And each person will appoint a member, and that will be the board of directors of the not-for-profit trust. And the job of the not-for-profit trust will be to take the blood spots out of the department and into a separate place, the biotrust, and store them appropriately and you, you know, use a computer to identify them and make random generated numbers so that, uh, and, and then if a researcher wants access, they have to show that they have institutional review board approval from their organization. You know what an institutional, and they also have to get institutional review board approval from the Biotrust. And the Biotrust has a community advisory board composed 100% of community members and a scientific advisory board. So the scientific advisory board says, yeah, this is good science. It is a good use of what is, after all, a scarce medical resource. If you use up the blood spots, they're gone. So if somebody says, I want to use them uh, because I want to patent a new test and make a million dollars, we say, you know what? Not so interesting. Bye-bye. Right. Um, <laughs> And the community advisory board has to say, yeah, this, this looks like they are in effect a surrogate for because there's no informed consent. They have to say, yeah, if I were asked, I would say yes to this. Okay. So we have all that built-in protection. Um, and, and we charge a fee for the spots equal to the overhead costs of the organization so that we can stay in business because we have to have a director and we have to have people who do the computing and we have to blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's like $8 a spot and we're good and they're good and not too much money. <laughs> um, so, so that was the origin of the Biotrust. State law says, 
for any spot for any newborn screening testing done after August 2010, we have to say to the parents, would it be okay to keep this for research? And here's how it works, and here's a little brochure you can read. Of course, this is the day after the baby is born. They got one or two other things to think about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but we make our best, we make a good faith effort. Okay. Now, why did you, like, why did the organization <coughs> switch from this opt out to opt in? We wanted to get as close to informed consent as we could. We thought the Jacobson versus Massachusetts argument was a good argument for newborn screening <clears throat> itself, but not for research, <clears throat> because that's a step beyond. So we said, you know, we really ought to ask permission. Now, it's not complete permission, because all we can say to you is, can we keep your dried blood spots for future unspecified research? All we can tell you is, we will make sure that nobody knows it's you. We can't tell you what the research is going to be. We can tell you that there's a community advisory board and a scientific advisory board, and we will do our best to make sure it is important research that you probably would agree to do, but we, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's why we did the opt-in. Mm -hmm. Then the problem was, well, we got all these other spots. We can throw them out, to which my wife said, don't you dare. <laughs> or we can use the opt-out. The problem with the opt-out is, even though ignorance of the law is no excuse, it doesn't quite feel right. And so we had a whole cadre of people, and we went out, and we did more than 100 talks in Michigan. Now, that doesn't help if you happen to have moved to Indiana or Colorado or someplace. Uh, but if you lived in Michigan and if you saw that one of these talks existed and if you felt like going to one of these talks, then you would learn that you had a right to opt out. We tried to get the Department of um, the Secretary of State to say any time you were going to renew your license in Michigan, they'd give you a piece of paper. And they said, we got enough to do, don't bother us. I still thought that was a good idea. I think that's a great idea because, I mean, <clears throat> I haven't been an adult for a long time and I couldn't attend one of these talks. So is there ongoing educational efforts to let people know that this is Not so much anymore. Everybody got tired of doing these talks. I, I did a bunch of them. I always started out the same way. Raise your hand if you were born in Michigan after 1984 or if you have a child who was born in Michigan after 1984. Okay, did you know that I have your blood in my freezer? Okay, let me tell you what that means. You got the hook. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but, you know, you can only do that so many times. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we'll still, if we're asked, it, we. If the Michigan Biotrust is asked, they will send a speaker out. If anybody wants to come see the Biotrust, we are happy to do a tour. We are transparent. We have a website, but you have to know to go there. I told you that California, Minnesota, Texas, and Michigan had retained spots. Now I have to tell you about Twyla Brays, B-R-A-I-S-E. Twyla Brays is a nurse. She is either ahead of her time or a nutcase, depending on how you think about Twyla. Um, she is very upset with anybody who would keep 
any of her data without her express permission. So she is very upset about not newborn screening itself, but any subsequent uses of the dried blood spots. She has a website. You can find it by just Googling Twyla Brays. On the website is one of my absolute most favorite pictures of all time. It's this adorable little baby, one arm being held by her mother, one arm being held by her father, with an angelic smile and a t-shirt that says, help, the government has my DNA. We've seen that picture a time or two. Yeah, Yeah, so that's Twyla's website. and, and what she says is that shouldn't be. So she got a group together to sue Minnesota. Why did she pick Minnesota? Minnesota's legislature made a stupid mistake. They passed an honest-to-God genetic privacy law and said that your genetic material belongs to you, and they forgot to exempt the dried blood spots. So Twyla said, look, the law says your genetic material belongs to you. Look. The state of Minnesota has these dried blood spots. Look, and the courts in Minnesota said, you're right. You've got 30 days to destroy the blood spots. And Minnesota said, we have 4 million blood spots. And the judge said, I don't care. (laughs) So they had to destroy 4 million blood spots. And then they went to the legislature and said, dumbballs, amend the law, which they did. And now they're starting to collect dried blood spots again, but they're 4 million behind. Twyla did not sue California. She then sued Texas. The reason she sued Texas was Texas said, oh, we got all these dried blood spots. Maybe we can make some money with them. Let's sell some of them to the military. Texas has always got a muddle and something weird. Big mistake. (laughs) Big mistake. So she sued Texas, and the court said, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. You You got to destroy all your blood spots. So now, Michigan and California are the two states that have the most dried blood spots. That gives us a monopoly. That means we can probably charge more than we do. We, we don't, but we, well, but we could. Um, then she sued Michigan. That suit is going on. Um, you can find it um, just by saying newborn screening Michigan lawsuit. Um, Kershensky is, I can't even spell Kershensky. Uh, but the argument was taking blood without permission is a search and seizure in violation of the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution, and keeping it without our permission is a violation of privacy under the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Um, search and seizure is probably a losing argument because that's a criminal thing. This is not being used for criminal. 14th Amendment is kind of an interesting argument, and it's why we said after 2010 you could opt in. So our defense is, well, wait a minute. If you don't want us to keep your blood spots, why are you suing us? Just tell us you don't want us to keep your blood spots and we'll destroy them. And of course the answer is, well, if we tell you to destroy them, then our case is moot because we don't have a claim anymore. So we don't want to ask you to destroy them. So the trial court said, you lose. <laughs> the state wins. Wow. Went up to the Court of Appeals, the Sixth Circuit, which unfortunately is a very conservative court. And they said, no, there might be a 14th Amendment here. We reverse the trial court. We're sending it back. So it's now back in the trial court. We are still making the same argument. Why are you suing them? 
first of all, some of the plaintiffs gave birth after August 2010. And we have said, look, that's your signature. You said it was okay. I know, but it was the day after I gave birth, and I did it, you know, and I was tired, and I didn't, and I was worried about breastfeeding, and I, you gave, somebody stuck this thing, and they said, sign it, I didn't, yeah, you know, so, so, but our argument is, you can whine all you want, that's your signature, you said it's okay for us to have the blood spots, if you have changed your mind, say the word, and we'll destroy them. If they win, we're going to have to destroy all our blood spots and the Biotrust goes out of business. If wow. they lose, we're still in business. Are you feeling pretty good about it? Well, I mean, we wanted to trial level the first time, and I didn't, I didn't think the Court of Appeals argument was very good, and neither did the trial court judge, but we're going to have to go through a trial. The question is, okay, American College of Medical Genetics has been involved in this for a long time. They get a grant from the federal government that says, you know, the fact that each state has their own rules and their own stuff, if you're a researcher and you want to get 100 PKUs, you're going to have to call 50 states. What if we set up one-stop shopping? And their first idea was, why doesn't everybody send their dried blood spots to us? And of course, every state said, Absolutely not. There are dry blood spots. We're not turning them over to you. Um, so the American College said, let's set up a virtual database. If we know what each state has, and if you are a researcher, and you can get through our pearly gate by saying, I'm an associate professor at the University of Wisconsin, and I have an IRB approval, and here's a copy of it, then we let you in. Um, and you say, I need five biotinase from 1990 and five from 2000 and five from 2010, where would I get those? The, depart the, the American College of Medical Genetics could say, oh, California has three, Michigan has two. Uh, and here's how you contact them, and it's one-stop shopping in this ID stuff. So they've set up this virtual database, and it includes not just how you get the stuff, but instructions for researchers, and what do you do if there's an incidental finding, and how do you do this, and how do you, so it's a pretty elaborate site. You can go to the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics and see what they have done. Um, we, have, we have cute little things like Ask Elsie, ethical, legal, scientific, um, and a little cartoon figure pops up and says, how can I help you? That's <laughs> you, cute. you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, um, so we've got that set up. Um, finally, there hasn't been a lot of research yet, but there is a lot going on. My favorite case that Scott may have talked to you about was from New York. A New York researcher said to us, because New York doesn't keep their spots, if we get 100 death certificates of kids in the 1990s who died of SIDS, sudden infant death, and we give them to you, could you correlate them with dried blood spots? Because these kids are dead, and we don't, we don't have any of their genetic material, but you do. And we could then take their dried blood spots, test them for everything that we're testing for now, not the five things we were testing for then, but everything we're testing for now, and see if we could figure out 
whether these kids who allegedly died of SIDS may have died of some other condition, a genetic condition. And we said, yeah, we can do that because of the honest broker system. You can give your death certificates to the state. They can correlate them and they can say, if you take samples 1279 and 156, that will be. And then, um, so we did that. We gave them to the researcher. The researcher ran them with tandem mass spec against what we do now. And they found out that more than half of those kids actually died of medium chain amino acid deficiency. And that, you know, SIDS is a junk diagnosis. Right. Um, So they said if newborn screening had been more robust back then, which it couldn't have been, the technology wasn't there, these kids' lives would have been saved. Hmm. That's a pretty cool study. Yeah, Um, that is really cool. and, And then some other researchers right now have said, we're interested in a 40-year epidemiologic study. What is the level of mercury in the blood of newborns who were born in zip codes adjacent to Lake Superior, where because of the copper mining and the trailings and the amount of whitefish that people eat, um, we'd like to see that. So we gave them dried blood spots from that zip code and from 1984, 1994, 2004, 2014. So 40-year epidemiologic study that they could do in a day. And what they found is the level of mercury is going like this. Wow. Um, so a great study. Um, so, so, that the, so the first one is an honest-to-God genetic study. Yeah. The second one is just a what's in your blood. Yeah. Um, but both of them, if we had tried to do that study now, we would have had to start with newborns now. And 40 years from now, we would have known. You couldn't go backwards. (laughs) Right. Couldn't go backwards because they're not newborns anymore. Yeah. Um, So, fantastic study. And and there's other studies. Um, People whose zip code is adjacent to the Kitabawassee River in Kalamazoo, where the Pfizer plant was that had effluents in the river, we can can look at the blood of newborns and see. Um, So, it's a valuable resource, so long as we are zealous in protecting privacy. Yeah. Uh, And even then, we have to say, yes, it is true that we don't have consent. Yes, it is true that we are supposed to have informed consent. But hey, we're doing the best. And then look at, and you can look always at the good out. that's coming out of it. And right. you could potentially benefit from that information and knowing that information. Like, hey, you were around this river or this lake at right. X year. Like, you better watch out for X, Y, Z or... Right. And and without using your name, we could say to whatever newspaper may still be in existence in the Upper Peninsula. Or physicians in that area. Or physicians here publish this article or the the radio put a public news uh, broadcast out or or doctors, please check your patients for Mm -hmm. a level of mercury. Public Um, health at its finest right there. Yeah, exactly. So has, so, okay, so Texas, they tried to sell it to the military, so they had to destroy all theirs. Are they now, are they back to collecting? So they're done. They're done. They're out. They're done. Okay, Minnesota is, though, is trying to recoup. They're collecting okay. again. 
Um, do they have like a formal biotrust type situation going on? No, they're doing it through the department in California. Okay. Doing it through the department. So you're the, you're the only. We are the only state that has this nonprofit entity. That's this independent party that's kind of monitoring this whole situation. Yes, and and in large part that was because of the Michigan State study that said people want absolute confidentiality, yeah. but they wanted to know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so why haven't other people done what Michigan's doing? Um, because it costs money and it costs time and it costs effort and it means people have to be willing to participate and they, Minnesota hasn't wanted to do it and California hasn't wanted to do it. Okay. Um, well, I have a couple of other questions for you, if you Please. don't mind. Okay, so going back to this whole opt-out, then transitioning yep. to opt-in. So... With the opt-in system, what's your percentage rate of asking people if they'd like their babies, you know, what so spot to go to So we research? get about 85% of okay. uh, mothers um, and fathers or single yeah. sex, whatever, uh, to opt in. And that's now, pretty on par with the research, though, about people opting into that, right? That's pretty on par. It doesn't have a selection bias problem, so the biostatisticians okay. are happy. Our guess is that small hospitals who are understaffed don't bother asking, which may be some of the explanation. There's not that many people who say no. There are more people who, when you try to do the study and say, how come you opted out, say, opted out of what? Nobody ever asked us. All right, here's my last question yeah. for you. Okay, so because I'm making this health education tool for young adults who are about to embark on making health decisions, particularly with genetic decisions, as this is such a growing field, what advice do you have for young people when they're going and deciding about making health decisions based off of genetic information? Well, so it's a broad question, mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's two kind of decisions, well, maybe three kind of decisions. One decision is who has my genetic material now and do I want them to keep it? Mm -hmm. That's a newborn screening question. The second is when my doctor says, I want to do a test, do I want them to do the test? Mm -hmm. And what questions ought I to ask? Mm -hmm. Why do you want to do the test? What are you going to do with the information? What is it going to mean to me? What are the things you can find? Mm -hmm. Right because it may be that they say, I wanna, there seems to be a history of Huntington's in your family, I wanna test you for Huntington's. Mm -hmm. Some people may be medical nihilists and say, I don't wanna know. Mm -hmm. Some people may say, yes, I do wanna know because maybe then I'll take that trip to Africa that I wanna take when I still can, or maybe I'll decide not to have kids, or maybe I will do assisted reproductive technology with pre-implantation genetic diagnosis to make sure that if I have a kid, that kid won't have the gene for Huntington's. So, so first question is who has the data and do I want them to have it? Second question is when a doctor says, uh, now I want to test you for X, what do I need to know to decide if I want to be tested? And the third question is once I get a result back, what am I going to do with the information? Um, and, and it is too easy for anybody, not just young people, for a doctor to say, okay, stick out your arm, I need some blood. Mm -hmm. And you say, yeah, sure. Instead of saying, and what are you gonna do with it? 
Well, that's really like all of the questions I had. And I really appreciate like you walking me through the history and sure. different challenges that have come up along the way. And, you know, your journey, at least through, <laughs> through this murky kind of waters, because it's still changing and there's not a right answer. There's not a wrong answer. It's just how do you meet people where they're at and, you know. Well, there's two things. There is neither a right nor a wrong answer, but there are right and wrong questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is information that everybody ought to have. What they do with the information is their business, but they ought to at least have it. So that they, well, Everybody calls informed consent informed consent. Mm-hmm. I call it informed choice. Because if you call it informed consent, Part of your brain is going, what do I have to tell the patient so that they will do what I think is in their best interest? Mm -hmm. If you call it informed choice, it's what do I have to tell the patient so that they can make a choice which they think is in their best interest, not what I think. Well, um, I feel like I'm in good hands, so I'm not going to opt out. You can keep my blood. Um, (laughs) You you can use it for whatever research. And... um, I think that uh, this was really interesting. So I really appreciate it. All right. Ed was such an amazing resource for the development of this episode. So big shout out to him. I hope that this podcast was able to give you some insight as to one way your DNA may be used and a potential decision you may have to make if you decide to opt out of the Michigan Biotrust or to opt into this program or a program like this in the future with your future children. Stay tuned for our next episode where we are going to talk about sickle cell trait, the NCAA, and your college basically wanting your blood. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.